Financial problems can be stressful, exhausting, and embarrassing. At the law offices of John T. Orcutt, we've been practicing bankruptcy law for more than 30 years. We've seen it all, and we're here to guide you through this uncertain time. Tune in as we walk you through the bankruptcy process, the myths, the misconceptions, the secrets, and answer your questions that have been keeping you up at night. Ready to put this chapter of your life behind you? Let's get fresh started. Today I spoke with Corey Hicks, who's an attorney in Durham, North Carolina, and he's been practicing bankruptcy law since 2008. He's a bankruptcy certified specialist, and he's often presented with the Bar Association at the Middle District Conference and at NACPA, the National Association of Consumer Bankruptcy Attorneys. Some of the subjects we covered were about Chapter 13 and sort of the purpose, what the plan is, who they are, the things that are included in a plan, either they have to be or you want them to be the things that you pay direct, and then along the way, sort of what happens with new debt or if you have a change in circumstances and what the options are, because Chapter 13 is designed to be flexible. And so there are things such as conversions or modifications. Then we also discussed what's going to happen if you think you might miss a payment, how to talk to your attorney, what you need to go over even before you miss the payment. But then also what happens if a case is dismissed and what your options are. We covered the everyone's favorite subject of the prices of Chapter 7 and Chapter 13 and what's entailed with those and how they're paid. We talked about exemptions. We talked about the term EAE, which stands for Equity Above Exemption, and sort of how Chapter 13 can handle property that has more value than what Chapter 7 can handle. Toward the end, there were the mistakes that people should avoid, things you shouldn't do before you talk to an attorney what documents are needed, and how to start a conversation with your significant other if you all are struggling with debt. And now I give you Corey Hicks. Hey, Corey, thank you for joining us today. One of the things that comes up pretty often with clients is when they come into the office, they may say, hey, look, I have a lot of debt, but I want to file a chapter seven. And we say, well, well, wait, seven is not necessarily better than 13. There are still Benefit. Well, it was put in place for a reason. I mean, how do you explain that to clients about maybe why 13 is there and what's the purpose of it and how it helps? Sure. Well, Chapter 13 started off as a what's called a wage earners plan. And so you had people that were working, obviously, and wanted to continue to repay things. But there, there's usually some interruption to their financial well-being, whether it be a loss of job or a decrease in income, and they're suddenly unable to keep payments up on their house or their car. Well, Chapter 7 is not really going to help that client. There's no way to really catch up debts in a Chapter 7. However, a Chapter 13 lets you restructure those debts over time, allows you to catch up on the mortgage, catch up on the car payments, and it may even allow you to lower the payments on those things. And so I think it's a more flexible option. It gives folks that might not qualify for Chapter 7 or may have things that they want to keep an opportunity to get back on their feet, to reestablish themselves, and give it a try. I mean, ultimately, if things continue to get worse, then we might need to look at reconfiguring the plan to just keep the house or just keep the car, but at least we give them a chance. It's a great way and to so get. So, what is the plan? The Chapter 13 plan usually consists of at least 
two or three things. We have, of course, the debts that they want to keep. So if you got a car payment, let's say you owe $15,000 on, on your Volkswagen. We put that in the plan. Even if you had an 18% interest rate on that, we can lower the interest rate to whatever the till rate is, which is generally uh, the prime interest rate plus about two points. Right now in the middle district, that's five and a quarter percent. So right there, we're lowering the interest rate on that. We're spreading the payments out over five years. That potentially lowers the car payment. The other things that we typically put in a Chapter 13 plan are taxes. If you owe past due taxes, we can pay those out over time, usually at repayment that's more favorable than you would reach with the IRS. So that's a huge benefit of Chapter 13. And then I think what we're starting to see a lot more of right now is people that are behind on their mortgages. You have a lot of folks that are coming out of COVID-19 forbearances and and suddenly it's like, wow, we have to catch up these payments and the lender's not willing to put them at the end of the loan. And so we don't want to be in foreclosure. So it's possible to put the mortgage payments into the plan, stretch those out over time and get them back on track to keeping their house. So the plan is generally things that we want to keep or things we have to pay, like you may not want to keep, you know, your 2018 or 19 taxes, but there are things we have to pay. And just one other bit so people know, the plan is over the course of the case, which could be three, four, five years, there's a trustee who's sort of uh, appointed by the court and they sort of administer the case. So you send money over to them, they turn around and they pay X, Y, and Z creditors, you know, and they kind of are the, the middleman of the case. They're not on your side, but not necessarily supposed to be on the creditor's side, sort of neutral but they collect the money and try to turn around and pay those things out. So, I mean, some other words that could come up would be like, what other things are in the plan, such as like priority, secured? What should people know about those? Other priority debts? Well, taxes are a priority debt that you, a priority debt means it has to be paid. You have to pay it through the plan. So taxes that were assessed or due within the past three years, that's generally a good rule of thumb. Those have to come into the plan. Personal property taxes, if you owe taxes on your car and you haven't paid them for a while, those will come into the plan. Attorney fees are another expense, an administrative expense that is considered a priority claim. And that's often a huge benefit for Chapter 13 too, is because in Chapter 7, you would have to come up with all the attorney fees up front. And that's the question that I hear all the time is, how am I going to file bankruptcy? I can't afford the attorney fees. And so they're stuck in between a rock and a hard place. They're, the creditors are pounding at their door and they need to file bankruptcy, but they can't come up with the money. Well, the option for that debtor is to file a chapter 13, which generally requires minimal amounts of front. In many cases, we're able to file someone without any money up front because we're we're able to put even the filing fee as part of the Chapter 13 plan. And that is a huge benefit. Now, the attorney fees in a Chapter 13 are going to be higher because you're paying for representation from three to five years, as opposed to a Chapter 7 where you're in and out of the case within four or five months. But Chapter 13 is 
a plan that is often born out of desperation because you're about to lose your house, you're about to lose your car. Well, obviously, if you could afford to pay those things, you wouldn't have a problem coming up with the attorney fees. Well, Chapter 13 gives you the option to pay the attorney fees over time. And, and for that reason, it's, I think that's a huge benefit. So that is another thing that we can put in the Chapter 13 plan. While the case is going on, oh, I guess one other sort of priority thing would be like DSOs, child support, things like that. There's some other debts which are considered more important or prioritized, and so they have to get paid. So while the plan is going, or while you're, let's say you're in a case for three years, you have some taxes and a car in the plan, and people are like, okay, but my Capital One bill and my Bank of America bill, okay, those, I don't have to pay those, right? But what about my power bill or what about my utilities? Sure. What about their ongoing payments for their day-to-day stuff? Yeah, well, we generally don't care about your unsecured creditors, your Bank of America, your Chase, Citibank, your credit cards. We don't care about them. They're not going to get anything in the bankruptcy case. And, and that's our job as your attorneys is to make sure that they don't get paid. Now, that's all dependent on your income and the assets you have, stuff that your attorney will look out for filing the case. But stuff that you would... What should they pay direct? Yeah, stuff that you would have to pay direct would be your utility payments. If you have a lease agreement or a rent payment that you're paying for your home, we generally can't put that in the plan. There are some circumstances where we can cure a rent payment if you're behind and facing eviction proceedings, but that's that's beyond the scope of this uh, talk here. The, the important thing to remember is that we can cut all of the, the junk out, which is the unsecured debt, so you won't be making payments on that. That allows you to concentrate on the things you need to put food on the table, like paying the utility bills, keeping the water on, and that's that's just such a huge benefit for clients. And they always come up to me and say, I can finally afford to live again. With the plan being three, four, or five years, a lot of life can kind of happen during that time. So I guess this is sort of a two-part question. The first one is, I've tried to tell people that sometimes the three, four, or five years can be a benefit because if you are six months behind on your house, catching that up over six or 12 months is going to be a tall order, but spread out over three, four, or five years, it's a little more manageable. You know, we could sort of divide it up a little bit. And then I suppose the other, what other benefits are there for having more time? Conversions, new debt, or I guess the second part, getting back to the second part, what happens if someone loses their job along the way? Or what if someone has new expenses, modifications? How does the bankruptcy not throw them off, I guess. Yeah, that's a good question because definitely over the past 15, 16 months with the pandemic, you really have a, a firm understanding that life continues to happen. And especially for debtors in Chapter 13, life doesn't get easier. Even though we are lowering the expenses, many times our, our clients are the hardest hit when something happens, whether it's a job loss the death of a family member, or a worldwide pandemic. Chapter 13 has a lot of flexibility built into it. So if you're having a difficult time making your plan payments, you can always talk to your attorney about possibly changing up the plan a little bit. 
extending the term for repayment. Now, generally speaking, we're limited to five years. Congress did pass an act this past year, which allows us to extend the plan in some circumstances up to seven years based on the pandemic. But those are all options that allow us to have some flexibility when there's been a job loss or some other change in circumstances. And of course, some folks realize that it really wasn't worth trying to keep that car or it wasn't worth trying to keep the house. They can no longer afford the payments because it's just, it, there's not enough money coming in. A modification can also reduce your plan payment by letting go of that property. We remove the payments from the Chapter 13 plan and we're able to keep you in Chapter 13, keep you protected. And the underlying debt, so the car loan, you're surrendering the vehicle, they can't come after you for the deficiency. So a lot of times car companies, after they're done taking your car, they hit you up with a letter saying you still owe $10,000. Well, surrendering the vehicle in a Chapter 13 eliminates that liability. That is a huge option for Chapter 13 because we can lower the plan payments if things are going bad. The other option that we have is conversion to Chapter 7. If you've done your best in Chapter 13 and there's just no way that you can maintain the payments on any of the stuff that you're keeping, Chapter 7 can be a good option too. We convert the case to Chapter 7. You get your discharge. Now, any secured debts that you had that you were trying to hold on to the property, well, as soon as you convert the case, those are likely going to be behind on the contractual payments, which means that if you can't come up with the money to get those current, you're likely going to lose those items. Well, yeah, redemption is a possibility, too, if you can come up with the money that would pay the fair market value of the property you can redeem it from the lien, and that allows you to keep the vehicle payment. Another advantage of starting someone off in Chapter 13 is medical debt. You know, folks that go into Chapter 13 and some, they incur a large medical debt over the course of their Chapter 13 case, which we're seeing with some folks that were hospitalized because of COVID. They're, they're coming out and suddenly being hit with thousands of dollars in medical bills. In a Chapter 7 conversion, I can take those debts that you incurred during the Chapter 13 plan and include them in your Chapter 7 discharge. So basically, you get an extended time to discharge more debts. And that is one reason that Chapter 13 might be a better option for folks too. If they anticipate that there are going to be these large medical debts down the road, well, why are we going to waste a Chapter 7 discharge right away when we can see how things are going in the Chapter 13 and then convert the case to Chapter 7? That's a huge option. And for Middle District, what are the... So I'm guessing, do they still take checks over there? If you can, can Are people still mailing in checks or do they stop that for, to the trustee? Well, generally speaking, your trustees crossed all the... So payroll deduction, yeah, online... Yeah, all the the districts, if you have a job, they will put you on a, a wage deduction, unless there are good reasons why you don't want to be on a wage deduction. And for certain small employers, it might lead to employment consequences if they get a notice of your bankruptcy. So 
that's something we're very careful of. If you're not able to do a wage deduction for your Chapter 13 plan, another option is to just mail in a money order or a check. Or you can drop it off at the Chapter 13 office. So that's pretty much how all the Chapter 13 trustees operate. Now, I don't practice in the Eastern District, but I think there is some where they do a bank draft over there, I believe. They've been encouraging the paying through the website quite a bit. And I mean, people seem to like that, too, because otherwise their checks were they weren't delayed on purpose. But, you know, it was going to like Tennessee and back. So even though, you know, like Logan's office was in Raleigh. Yeah, I never understood that. It just just seems like such a simple resolution to just get, you know, we're in the 21st century. Let's start doing things. Let's start making bankruptcy (laughs) payments by Venmo. Yeah, cash out. You just have to friend your trustee on Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. And then put a fun note underneath it. Reason for payment. Let's say someone wasn't, they weren't on payroll deduction and they think they might be missing a payment soon or they may not be, maybe it's going to be too tight. They may not be able to make it on time. What would you tell them to do? Should they contact their attorney and give them some heads up? Should they just try to make it when they can? Should they make partial payments? Or then what's the consequence if you miss a payment about the flexibility of 13? The answer to that question all the time, Sean, is that you need to call your attorney because there may be things that you just don't remember about your case that could doom you if you miss that payment without contacting your attorney. If you've missed a payment earlier in the plan and you're now on what's called an automatic dismissal provision, then your case might be dismissed without any further notice. And you might not have remembered that because you get forms in the mail and you get orders in the mail and you just don't remember that you're still on an automatic dismissal. If you see that that missed payment coming, just call up your attorney and have them double check for you because I've that's always unfortunate when someone just didn't call us and we could have done something with the case if we had known there was going to be a problem. And speaking of that, I mean, dismissals, I don't think we've talked about this yet, or I don't think that we've had a blog about it yet either. Let's just go ahead and jump there. Let's say someone's case is going to get dismissed, maybe no fault of their own. What should they do next? Contact their attorney. Now, again, there, there may be circumstances. Well, I mean, part of it is you get more than one chance. I mean, you know, that refiles are a thing. Then some people may not even realize that. Correct. But, I mean, if you think you're going to be dismissed, I think it's still a good option to, to talk to your attorney about what options might be available that don't involve dismissal. Like if Chapter 7 conversion is a possibility, that might be the best route. Of course, if you're still wanting to keep the things that were being paid in the Chapter 13 plan, then refiling your case as a new Chapter 13 is probably still a good option. There are some circumstances where refiling the case might be difficult, especially if you've had more than one case pending in the prior year. So if you've had two dismissals in the past year, you might have a bit of an uphill battle getting that third Chapter 13 case off the ground because there are certain requirements that must be met in order to get the stay in place. And the automatic stay is basically what protects all your property. It stops the foreclosure, it stops the lawsuit, it stops the repossession. If you've had too many filings, then that stay doesn't automatically go into effect. And so 
again, you want to talk to your attorney because you may not remember that there was two case, there were two cases pending in the past year. And if you just allow the case to get dismissed, that may be a fatal blow as far as keeping your property. Some things help, you know, if they have more income now, if they have less expenses. Oh, yeah. There's lots of little factors. Yeah. And refiling is, is a, don't get me wrong, refiling is a great tool because just one thing I can think of right now is I had a client that was struggling with her car payment. In Chapter 13, There's it's called a 910 rule. If the vehicle was purchased within the prior 910 days, you have to pay that debt in full. If the vehicle was purchased more than 910 days ago, then you can do what's called a cram down. And a cram down lowers the balance on payment. You just have to pay the fair market value of the vehicle. Well, for this client, that was an $8,000 difference. Even accounting for the payments that she had made in the Chapter 13 plan, she was now going to be paying $8,000 less on her vehicle than the current contractual balance. So putting her in a Chapter 13 case made all the sense in the world. It was going to lower her Chapter 13 plan payment, which she was struggling with. It was going to get her back current. And because the job interruption had now cured itself, she was going to be in a better position to afford this plan. And she was very happy with that outcome. Earlier, you brought up the price differences between 7 and 13. Before the question, one thing to just bring up, some there's there are some parts of the price or the fees that are beyond our control they're like the court fees or the credit counseling things like that which are several or a few hundred dollars for both of them and the chapter 7 is you know their case could just be you know 3 4 5 months long and so we are only we're only going to charge them for the work we have to do and if the work is done after 3 4 5 months we can part ways and yay. So the fees for chapter 13, could you explain a little bit more like, because zero money down is a little bit different in middle district and then how the fees are spread out and what determines, you know, the fees, how they get paid, stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, you're exactly right. The fees are significantly different between chapter and 13 and chapter seven. And the primary reason is that chapter 13 you're employing us as your attorney for five years, and sometimes more than that, because sometimes plans will go over by a few months, and sometimes we may need to, like with these COVID-related modifications, extend the plan for up to seven years. And so what you're paying there is for that long-term representation and everything that comes up during that time. Now, there are additional fees that are awarded during Chapter 13 case say, for modifying the plan, if you need to sell something, if you need to purchase a vehicle, there are additional fees that are awarded by the court. But it is a a long-term commitment, and the courts have all set those fees for Chapter 13. It's, a, it's what's called a presumptive fee. So in the Middle District, the fee is set forth in our local rules. It's increased every few years. Eastern District is the same. Those are our fees that are uh, we don't usually vary from. Now with Chapter 7, the fee is going to be lower because generally speaking, if it's a fairly simple Chapter 7 case, our representation is only going to last, you know, four or five months. And so you're going to be in and out of the bankruptcy system fairly quickly. The fees 
are usually handled on a case-by-case basis based on the anticipated complexity of the case. There are all sorts of factors that go into the complexity of a Chapter 7 case. If there's higher income and means test considerations, if there's a lot of property, if there's a lot of unsecured debt. Higher income, more property. All of those things are concerns to... Crazy taxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything that you could non-filing spouse possibly think of that might complicate a Chapter 7 case, those are things that the attorney is going to try to take account for. But they should be explaining those, those differences to you and explaining to the client, well, hey, we, we've got to handle three reaffirmation agreements in this case that's going to require additional court hearings or you know, we expect that the bankruptcy administrator is really going to want documentation concerning your expenses and income, those kinds of things require additional work. And so that might result in a higher fee for Chapter 7. The biggest advantage in Chapter 13 is that the attorney fee, again, is paid over time. And so you can have a zero money down case in Chapter 13 that you you can't have in a Chapter 7, unfortunately. But in a Chapter 13, you can do a zero money down plan where the attorney fees, the filing fee is all rolled into your case. In the middle district, we do that by lowering your first few plan payments and you just pay the filing fee after the case is filed. In the eastern district, they actually include that as part of the administrative expenses that are paid over your Chapter 13 case. The result in both districts is the same. You don't have to come up with any money up front to file the Chapter 13. One of the things I liked about 13 while I don't like paying EAE, I do like that it's an option. And I think we've covered in the past, you know, that North Carolina's exemptions are, they could really use a, a facelift or an upgrade, depending on how you look at it. But they're in across, compared to all the other states, they're okay. They're not the best. You know, you can keep about 35000 of, you know, per person for residents, you know, you can Keep about thirty five hundred in the vehicle, two thousand tools of trade, five thousand of wildcard taken from the residents, and you know we have a certain a few other things which are unlimited uh, insurance, personal injury. I think when might a chapter seven not be an option? That's what I mean with like EAE. If someone has too much equity in a car or house, how might sort of chapter thirteen sort of save the day and help out there? What you're talking about, Sean, is equity above exemptions, or EAE. That means, well, getting back to what the code says, you can keep certain property, property of the estate, so long as the equity in that property is not above your available exemption. So, for example, your house. If your house is worth $200,000, but you only owe $50,000 on it. That means you have $150,000 of equity in that property. Under North Carolina law, if you're a single owner of that property, I can only protect up to $35,000 of equity. And so if I were to file that case in a Chapter 7, the Chapter 7 trustee would be looking to sell that property to pay your unsecured creditors. The advantage of a Chapter 13 case in that instance is we can put you in a Chapter 13 and pay out that equity above exemption over time. So that way you're not at risk of losing the property. 
and you can cure the mortgage. You can pay the unsecured debts to the extent you're, you're able to in the Chapter 13 plan. And that is just a, a better avenue, of course, for keeping the property. With property prices just exploding around here, I think Chapter 13 is becoming a much more attractive option because, you know, even though the tax values have stayed relatively constant, the housing market is just on fire. And it's not about what the tax office says, it's what the trustee believes he could sell it for. So I would hesitate to ever put a client in a Chapter 7 where the value is just right at the threshold of the exemptions because that puts the property at risk. Chapter 13 is a much better option. There's no risk of losing that property in Chapter 13 unless you can't afford to pay the, the mortgage debt. Yeah, I've seen some properties shooting up. And I was like, did they start finding gold in North Carolina? Like, what's the deal with the half of the value of this neighborhood? Some things were just skyrocketing up. I mean, it's good news for North Carolina and must we must be yeah attractive for Well, with the tech companies moving into the triangle, it's just gonna keep going up, I think. And and so, like you said, the exemptions, especially for the homes that are very I don't know. I think they're pitiful right now because you do have folks that are trying to save their home. And, you know, they managed to make the mortgage payments after all these years and their equity has, has gone up. Whereas they would have been able to file a chapter seven, five, six years ago with the increase in property values. Now that's, that's becoming more of a risk. Were you practicing when it was before it changed up to 35? Was it? 18 or so? Yeah, I think it was like 18.5. Yeah. So that was a, an, it was a good increase for the time. But, you know, now I think it, we need it somewhere in the $100,000 range. Yeah, even just inflation alone, because it's been probably a decade or so. One of my favorite questions is different. So what are a couple mistakes? You know, if you could get to someone, you know, a few months before they actually called an, an attorney, what would be some mistakes you would tell them to avoid? Things you shouldn't do if maybe, you know, a bankruptcy is in the future. Number one. Let's start with maybe tax refunds. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, tax refunds. We all love our moms, but don't pay her back without talking to your attorney first. Right. Well, I th and also a lot of times I think with tax refunds, People don't realize that they can change their withholding and effectively increase the amount of money that they're getting every month through payroll. Because essentially what you're doing when you get a tax refund is you're giving the government a loan interest-free. You, know, you get that money back when it's tax refund time, and that's when the clients make the mistake of, of repaying mom, which can lead to problems in the Chapter 13 case or Chapter 7 case. Um, so. I think changing your withholding to increase your monthly cash flow just makes far more sense for most people. Of course, you want to consult with your accountant or, or your payroll office to make sure that you're not under withholding, which would lead to tax liabilities. But you know, if you're routinely getting a five, $6,000 tax refund, you're doing it wrong. The number one thing I would tell clients to, to not do before they come in don't blow through your retirement account. So many 
people in trying to avoid bankruptcy will raid their retirement accounts. In North Carolina and virtually every other state, retirement, uh, retirement accounts are completely protected from your creditors so long as you keep the money in that retirement account. Once you take it out, it's not protected from your creditors. And when you pay it in large lump sums before your bankruptcy case is filed, well, you might as well just be flushing money down the toilet because you're never going to see that money again. You'll have spent a large amount of money which otherwise would have been used in your retirement. And if you had just come in to see us earlier, we would have told you to keep that money in your retirement account and file the bankruptcy. You save all that money for your retirement. The second thing I would suggest that clients not do, and that you alluded to this earlier, is just don't give away stuff. Don't Clients are so afraid that before they even consult with a bankruptcy attorney that I, I've got to hide, or not hide, but I, I've got to safeguard my stuff. And I've got to make sure that my kids are taken care of, so I'm going to give them the cash in my retirement account, for example, without ever doing any research about whether that's really necessary or how that's going to impact their bankruptcy case. Now, the problem with all that is that a Chapter 7 trustee can recover those funds and he can recover them for up, if, if transfer was made up to two years before the filing of the case, that can be recovered. So just leave things as they are until you're able to consult with a bankruptcy attorney, because if there is any kind of planning that needs to be done, and a lot of times some planning can be done, it, it can be an increase in your retirement contributions, it can be some life insurance, those are good ways to protect the money. Giving out assets or, or transferring things is not a good way to preserve those assets. Yeah, I mean, even innocent things like a parent who, for the kid to open a checking account or savings account, you know, the parent had to be on there. Now the kid's a little bit older. All the money in there is the kid's money. Well, I don't want it wrapped up in my stuff. Let me take my name off this joint account. Once again, it's like, no, 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 no. We have, we might have solutions for that. Just leave it as it is. Talk to us first. Don't tinker in it. Yeah, there is usually a legal solution that protects the asset if you would just talk to us first. The other thing, obviously, is the kind of haphazard estate planning that goes on before a case is filed where you have drawn up a deed giving son a remainder interest in some property because you've heard that's cheaper than getting a will. That can be a real problem in, in a Chapter 7 or Chapter 13 case because, again, it looks like a transfer to an insider. By just doing a will, that would protect the asset for uh, whoever you're trying to give it to after your death. So, last two. First one, what's the sort of the short list of documents that someone might want to go and grab, maybe before or after they call an attorney? Like, go to that pile of mail, grab out your bills. What else might they need? Then this goes along with the previous topic of, of mistakes is clients often are afraid to face their financial problems. And I, I understand that. You know, there's a tendency to put your head in the sand on things and just think this is going to go away if I just don't look at it. And the further you get along 
in doing that, the harder it is going to be to pick up the phone and call an attorney. I promise you, you're going to feel better once you call us. Just taking that step in the right direction is going to make you feel 100% better because you're finally taking some, some uh, power over your future. Stop putting your pride in front of your future. Pick up the phone. We're going to give you all the information you need. We're going to help you along the path. We're going to tell you exactly what you need to do to file a bankruptcy. And you're going to find that it's not as difficult as you have built it up in your head. It's going to involve putting together some documents, getting some bills together, tax returns, all kinds of stuff that you have laying around. All you need to, to do is put it together in a way that we can put it on a bankruptcy petition. And it's not difficult, and that's why we're here to help you, is, is we're going to make this process as easy as possible because I know it's been very hard to even consider these things. This is a very difficult and painful decision for a lot of folks, and we want to make it as, as pain-free as possible because it's not something to be embarrassed about. It's not something to be sensitive about. It's something that's going to free you, and it's going to free you in ways that you can't even really imagine right now. I just thought of this other question. What conversation might someone want to have, if at all, I mean, uh, with their spouse, partner, live-in person, if they were contemplating calling or looking more into this, how do they start that conversation? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know if there's any one-size-fits-all answer to that. Acknowledging that there is a problem is going to be the first step sitting down and looking at the budget honestly and, and saying, we can't afford to keep living this way. This money that's going out on the unsecured debt is, that's just no way to live. Just worrying about whether you're going to have enough food on the table, whether your kids are going to have the, the activities and the enjoyments that you want them to have. If you're worried about that all the time, it's worth bringing up in a discussion with your spouse. They're probably thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, and it depends on how much they know about the situation. They're probably aware of something. And even if you've done your best to try to shield them, you know, as noble as that concept can be. And also for your kids, your kids would prefer that you were not stressed so that you had better daddies up at night kind of thing. You know, they'd rather that, you know, you were, had some of that weight off your shoulders and then you have better quality time with them. And I guess the last question would be, I mean, that was, you've almost kind of answered it, but if there's anything else, what other advice might you have for North Carolinians who are struggling right now? Just that we're here, we're here to help you. Getting through this past year with the pandemic has been a challenge for for everyone across the board. And when this started last March, I don't think anyone had any idea of how long this was going to go on and how far reaching the effects would be. There's just a lot of desperation right now. And if you're one of those people that's, that's feeling hard hit and the recovery is just not there for you, just pick up the phone and call us. The only error here is inaction. There is a solution and 
we want to be able to help you see that solution. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we will talk later. Thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Orcut Answers. To learn more about today's discussion or to schedule a consultation with one of our attorneys, visit our website at billsbills.com or call us day or night at 888-234-4190. The insights and views presented in Orcut Answers are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. We are a debt relief agency. We help people file for bankruptcy relief under the bankruptcy code. If you're ready to talk to someone who understands what you're going through, contact the law offices of John T. Orca today 